Amen. So Genesis chapter 22 is where what we'll be studying tonight um, and we'll be moving elsewhere also. Genesis 22. If you're there, just say amen. Oh, you sure you're there? I heard amen, but some people are still. <laughs> um, yeah, how many of you are there? Genesis 22, very quickly. Can you just get that out for us, please? Okay. All right. I keep thinking there's my phone, but I know it's not me. Can't be me. <laughs> Genesis 22. All right. So the Bible says, and I'll be reading uh, from here in the NKJV. You can follow on the screen also. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go further and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. Verse 7. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to a place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. 
as it said, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Amen. Um, very long reading, you know, but there's just a few key things that I want us to pay particular attention to. And the reason why I decided for us to um, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 22 is because in this story, beyond it being uh, a reflection or a type of Jesus, you know, how many of you are aware um, that most, all the, the, the things in the Old Testament, they all point in one direction? If you're not aware, I, I will explain that very quickly. Amen? Everything that we ever read of in the Bible, in fact, forget just the Old Testament, even the New Testament also. Why? Because in John 5.39, Jesus said, you know, you diligently search the scriptures because you think in them you will have eternal life. Meanwhile, these are the words that testify of me. What he was saying, you know, there's two parts to what he was saying, but the second part of what he was saying was that every word in the Bible testifies of Jesus. Is anyone hearing what I'm saying? It testifies of Jesus from, from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus is the sure word of prophecy. Amen? So this is why we're, we have, we're going all the way back. And the life of Abraham is so fascinates me beyond, you know, so many things. Um, we begin by reading that God was testing Abraham. God tested Abraham. And mind you, this, is, this wasn't a test to produce faith. Hmm. This was not necessarily a test to produce faith. Why? Because God had previously tested Abraham on numerous occasions for that to become the case. So Abraham was already a man walking in faith. Abraham was a man who, you know, at the age of 100. You know, how many of you are familiar with that story? When uh, you read uh, the book of Romans, chapter 4. And Paul, by revelation, speaks concerning Abraham, and he says he did not consider the deadness of his body. He staggered not in unbelief. This was a man who, <laughs> if God said to you, you can have a child at the age of 100, you'd be thinking, no, please, scientifically, and this, this is not possible. But this is a man who, you know, when we hear things like, uh, we, we walk not by, by sight, but we walk by faith and not by sight. He was the, the, the epitome of that scripture. Amen? I still haven't even dived into the topic of tonight. You see? But simply, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so careful with the word of God, how we approach it. It's not some just reading and going everywhere. Because at each point, there's always a message that God is saying. And I want us to hear it as we're going along. Number one, it says, God tested Abraham. I want you to understand something which has nothing to do with my message tonight. But please understand that God can test you. Is anyone hearing me? God can test you. 
that's not a test to break you apart, to, to, you know, disconfigure your alignment or something. No. The test of God is to reveal what he has placed in your life. When the, the devil came to God in the book of Job chapter 1, and he spoke to God and he said, have you considered your servant Job? He was not speaking to God as if God didn't know that Job was a man of faith, no. He was not speaking to God as if he didn't know that if Job was to be tested and tried right now, that he would still stand his ground. I'm telling you, the enemy is aware that you are capable, more than able, in fact, to overcome the problems that you find yourselves in on a daily basis. Amen? And so when you... This is a word to someone I'm speaking to tonight. Now listen, your circumstance, your adversity is not because God wants to expose you or to prove that, you know, you fell short two weeks ago. No. God is using you to say and make a statement to the enemy that you, have, you are more than able. Tell your neighbor you are more than able. You are more than able to overcome that challenge. You are more than able to overcome that adversity. So that test that God was testing Abraham was not a test to produce faith. It was a test to reveal faith. Abraham was already walking in faith. Is anyone following me tonight? That's the first thing I want, I want all of us to understand. Then we go, I don't even know what verse, but it says when God called him, he said, here I am. No debate, no questioning, no, oh, Lord, is this you? Or uh, There was no discussion. Abraham called his name. He says, here I am. And I'm going to link this to what I said before in, in um, you know, the posture that we ought to assume whenever we're, we're doing the things of God. The same way that God spoke to Ezekiel and told him to stand up on his feet. How I many of you remember a couple minutes ago I was, I was speaking about that? In that same way is what, Abraham, is what Abraham is doing right now. When God has called him and he's saying, he's called, he just called his name. And he says, here I am. That's, that's him saying, Lord, I don't even know what you are intending to say to me, but whatever it is, I am willing to surrender. That's a, you know, there's a way of saying things without saying exactly what you're trying to say. Is anyone hearing me? I mean, I did English literature, so, you know, I'm a, a linguist. <laughs> you know, the words are powerful. You can, you can frame a statement in a particular way without really saying the exact words, but you've made your intentions known. Abraham, here I am. He's saying, Lord, I'm ready. I don't even know what you, you, you're willing to say to me. I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to obey. Okay? And this was the posture that he was assuming. So, he was ready to surrender. Uh, he was ready to be taught by God, ready to obey, ready to be examined by God. And how often do we hear God speaking to us 
especially when the promptings have been coming for quite a while. And God has been telling you, you, you need to start that YouTube channel. You need to, I'm not, I'm not you know, if it's conviction is there, then, uh, you know. <laughs> but how many times when God has said, you know, you, you, you need to uh, go and speak to your neighbor, speak to your housemate, so forth and so on. All these are examples. Amen. I'm sure we can all relate. We have our individual things that we know that God has been speaking to us over a certain period of time. But because of the fear of the magnitude of the task and all these things, sometimes we act as if we haven't even heard God. That's number one. And even when we know that we've heard God, we are reluctant to obey. Listen, I'm a very blunt guy, and tonight I want you to understand one thing. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. I don't want to sugarcoat that at all. I was saying to someone earlier this week, when God called me, the first thing he said to me, do not compromise the gospel. So I don't know how to sugarcoat things at all. When there's a need for that, I'll do that. But the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Amen? You know, I'm, I'm trying to stir up faith tonight. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to get you to the place where when God begins to speak to you, you're not moved by your feelings and emotions. Your heart is what moves first before you, you begin to consider the deadness of your body, so to speak. If Abraham considered the deadness of his body, I mean, there's a lot, whole lot of consequences that would have happened. Amen? So that's the second thing. Um, and then you, we read on, uh, you know, I'm going to just be skimming through some things. We read on, we hear about how he rose up early in the morning. That's another heart posture there again. You know, he could have traveled at any other time of the day, but he chose to rise early in the morning. That's saying, you know what, that's, that's a, you're, you're showing God that you're keen about what he's saying. You're keen about what he has spoken to you. And so when God gives you that vision, there's not a thing of, let me consider this in three months' time. No. Is God has said that means I need to act on it very quickly. Is anyone understanding what I'm saying? I've been a victim to this myself. Procrastination, we all know that word. Where you know God is saying, dude, this has to start in two weeks' time. But you have your own agenda. That's often the problem. And that gets in the way of what God is trying to do in someone else's life. Because mind you, the vision that God has given you is not necessarily to benefit your life. It's to benefit the people around you, your family, your friends, the society you find yourself in. It's never about you. Please understand this. The fact that you went to Harvard, you're, you're intended to go to Harvard, get great de degrees and great, marvelous. The fact that you're here in Leicester in itself, whatever university you've come from, understand that that degree, yes, I know you want a good job in life. I know you want to prosper in this lifetime. But please understand that it's just 
a mere platform for you to exercise the ministry that God has placed in your spirit. I was speaking in this way because earlier this week, you know, I was caught up in a vision. And I spoke to a few people who were at prayers on Friday. And I'll, I'll explain a bit more um, towards the end of service. But this is why I'm speaking this way. When you begin to understand what your obedience, the impact of your obedience, your attitude towards the voice of God will change. If Abraham disobeyed, so forth and so on, the blessings that we have come to inherit, not because we did anything, we would not even know anything of it. There's so many consequences. Tell your neighbor your obedience. No, no, I don't think they're hearing it. Your obedience is necessary. We go on, verse 5. He said to his, uh, his, his servants, you know, and everything, like I'm saying, if you want to understand how this reflects, you know, is a type of Jesus and his death and everything, when you go home, just spend some time and read this yourself because you will see so many things, so many things. It says, they went yonder to worship. Um, and that's what he said to his servants. So you stay here, we'll go a bit further, you know, to worship the Lord. And then there's something in one of the verses that also strikes me. When he was speaking to his servants and said, and said um, we will come back down to you. He said, we. God has just said, go and offer your son as a burnt offering. And you're telling me that after you've done that, you will still come back with him. Is anyone hearing what I'm saying? This is the magnitude of the faith that Abraham had. That, you know, I, I may not understand what you're saying, Lord, but I have faith that you are able to, to redeem, able to resurrect that situation once more. It's not as if it's so easy to talk about Abraham and him being the father of faith and everything and probably not consider the possible doubts. I put the word possible there. The possible doubts and questions that might have crept in his mind. We're not, we're not saying be insensitive towards your feelings and emotions, no. That's not what we're talking about here. I'm sure that Abraham would have not seen the full picture. It's okay to not know the full picture. Is anyone hearing me at all? It's okay to not know the full picture. But your heart posture must never be, be, be influenced by the circumstance. Amen? So that's what, that's what um, Abraham said to his servant. And I just wanted to, the reason why I touched upon that was because I found out from that scripture that giving is an act of worship. Because God has given a command. He spoke it to Abraham, you know, and we as human beings, we are free moral agents in accordance with how God made us in the very beginning. God is sovereign. God understands what he wants for your life, but God will never, ever, you know, come and just, uh, what's the word, um, be forceful, so to speak. 
God will never, you know, make you do anything against your own will. That's where I'm going. So to a certain degree, one must understand that Abraham's obedience came out of his willingness to give up his son. It's not because God has said so. God can still say so and you can choose to disobey. Amen? But Abraham, because he understood that giving is more than just adhering to some principles. It's more than just you know, hearing someone come here at the uh, start of service say, offering, offering, and then you feel like, oh, offering, because someone has said so, you want to give your offering. No. We must give because it is an act of worship. Amen? If you catch this, your posture towards giving will completely change. You will no longer be a person who gives grudgingly. And later on, I'll show you the heart posture that we need to adopt towards this also. Giving is more than a financial obligation. Amen? Giving is more than just doing it because you have to. Because you have a will. God gave you a will. Amen? But from tonight, I just... I just want to help us shift our perspective that giving is an act of worship. So, um, you know, and elsewhere, um, later on in the verse, actually, towards the very end, you hear of um, the blessings of God as a result of his obedience. Amen? God blessing Abraham and everything is is a... like I said, when you have time, just read it um, for yourself. I just quickly want to go back to what would have caused Abraham to um, not consider how illogical this seemed. And just write the scripture down. When you go home, you read it as well. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 to 19. When you read that scripture, you will find out that Abraham understood (laughs) that the same God that gave Isaac to him as a gift, the same God who was able to, to produce out of nothing, amen, is the same God who is able to, or who has the capacity to, to resurrect Isaac if he needs to. He knew the God he was serving. He knew the God he was serving. Luke chapter 8 verse 3. Luke chapter 8 verse 3. And because of time, I'll just um, just jump there very quickly. Luke 8 verse 3. The Bible says, I start from verse 2. It says, And certain women had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come out seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. My point of emphasis is verse 3. How these women provided for the Lord from their own substance. In verse 1, you hear that Jesus was moving from village to city, 
bringing the message of the kingdom of God to the people. And he was doing this with his disciples. Amen. Now, so often we, we know that God is sovereign. He's mighty. He's, you know, I mean, he, he turned five uh, loaves and two fishes and he fed 5,000 plus people. So if under any normal circumstance, he should be able to provide for himself and his disciples. How many of you agree with me? If, if anything, he has the power to command stones to become bread. This is the God that we're talking about. Meanwhile, despite this reality and this truth, the Bible says he moved from city to village, preaching the message of the kingdom of God. And these women, you know, who uh, it, uh, the Bible has taken time to, to give us their names for, for us, you know, key reasons, which I don't have time to go into. But the Bible says they ministered to him out of their own substance. But let's not forget why that was the case. Verse 2, they had been healed of their infirmities. They, you know, they had been, you know, all these afflictions by reason of the power of God, they had left their lives. And they found it necessary to respond. It's about your response, guys, to what God has done in your life. Giving is a, a way of us responding to God to show, his, to show our appreciation for what he has done for us. Anyone hearing what I'm saying? These women, listen, I know people who have been blessed in, in, in this life, you know, been prayed for and things have happened, but you never hear of them again. You never hear of them again. I'm not saying I want to hear of you again, but I'm saying there's a, a need to at least acknowledge what God has done for you. They gave of their own substance, which means no one obliged them. It was not a forceful thing. They didn't give because Ch uh, Chuzo, what's her even her name? Uh, Joanna, the son of Chuzo, Susanna. You know, these people were daughters and wives of, of, of uh, very high-ranking people. We're talking about Herod. They, they had the capacity to give. Meanwhile, no one forced them. If you're following me, just let me see your hands. Giving is your response to the goodness of the Lord in your life. Amen? Earlier on, Tammy mentioned the word tithe. It's a big, big topic. Very, very big topic, but very easy to understand. I, I find so many places... And, and people, rather, trying to almost deliberately misunderstand what God has said concerning tithing. Meanwhile, it was never meant to be that complicated. The reason why anyone can try to overcomplicate is because your heart towards the act is not in the right place. The Bible is very black and white in some things, you know. And giving is one of these things. So that's in Luke 8, 3. You know, like I said, they, this was their response. This was their response to what God has had done in their lives. The kingdom of God can only be built up by us. It needs to be built up by us. There are multiple ways of building the kingdom of God. 
You can be building up the kingdom or helping or contributing towards the building of the kingdom by serving on team, for instance, as some of you do. You know, but that's not what I'm talking about tonight. But it's one of those ways. You can, you can help by uh, you know, being part of worship team and so forth and so on. But giving out of your substance is also one way. Because finance is also important. Amen? And by the time we move to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and just, just open that scripture just now, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you'll find out that the preaching of the gospel must be backed by giving. In other words, the ministering of the gospel, let me use that phrase instead, it needs support. Amen? The fact that we serve a God who's mighty and powerful and everything doesn't necessarily mean that at every time he will miraculously provide some wealth from somewhere. No. The responsibility is on you and I. We need to build the kingdom of God. Tell your neighbor, you need to build the kingdom of God. Yes, and it's true. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 5. It's already past eight, but I trust that you will spare me some of your time. Second Corinthians chapter eight. It says, Moreover, brethren, you make we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Amen. First things first that um, Paul draws our attention to is that it takes more than just... Okay, let me, let me rephrase that. In this situation, let me give a context so that it will make more sense. There was great affliction of some of the churches in what they was called the barbaric north. Now, a group of what we now know as Greece, Macedonia, and a few other countries. It was referred to as the barbaric north. That side where Paul had set up churches. Uh, you know, most of you, I trust that you're aware that Paul was a, um, almost like a missionary. Used to go to and fro preaching the word of God, you know, and building churches so forth and so on. And in some of these churches that he had established, there was great persecution. Great persecution. There was, I mean, it was it was so bad to the point where Paul draws our attention to how the people of Macedonia still had joy in the midst of all this persecution. And that reminds me of something James said in the book of James. It says, count it all joy. You see, some of these things, when you're going through it, you'll be thinking, but how? But it's very possible. 
It's very possible. Amen? And tonight, that's one of the things I believe God wants me to, to pray concerning. The grace to be able to remain steadfast in the midst of persecution. The grace to be able to continue doing the things of God in the midst of affliction. Amen? Because the people of Macedonia, they could have easily said, you know what, because of this persecution and the consequences thereof. Because when you read, when you read on, you find out that there was great poverty. Great poverty as a result of the, all of these things. They could have made every excuse possible in this world. Amen? Meanwhile, Paul says to us that they were freely willing. He says, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Don't forget that these were a people that under normal circumstance, they could have said, because of our poverty, we don't need, we can't give. Is anyone hearing what I'm saying? There's never any excuse to not give of your substance to the Lord. If a people who were in, <laughs> I wish we had time to break apart the, you know, uh, the, how do I phrase this? The original uh, meaning when the Bible is talking about poverty in the scripture. You will now come and understand that this was deep poverty. It's not a poverty that we understand. No, 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 no. Poverty. As in they, almost like they had nothing. But they still found something. Where they found it from, only they know. But the truth of the matter is, they didn't make an excuse. And I'll show you the reason why. In verse 5, it says, And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. And then to us, by the will of, of God. Yes, given will be a challenge to you when your heart towards God is not even right in the first place. When you are, when you perceive the things of God as doing it for someone. Is anyone hearing what I'm saying? You see, if there's anything you've heard from me tonight, take this one advice from me. Never, you know, ponder in your heart that the things you're doing in the house of God or outside, but as long as you're doing it for God, never ever perceive that you're doing it because someone said so. Or someone asked you to do it. Or, no, that's the wrong, completely wrong heart posture. Because now, when you encounter some circumstances and situations that, that go against the norm of what you expect, that's now when things like bitterness, anger, pride, and all these things that when you read the book of Galatians, it says anyone who inherits these things will not enter the kingdom of God. Yes. Black and white. It says you will inherit the kingdom of God. Amen? So we need to make sure that at all times, work, the whole God in your heart with diligence is not... <laughs> you know, I, I really don't want to be extending beyond tonight's word, truly. But guarding your heart with all diligence is not a thing of, 
restricting yourself from, you know, uh, um, impacting people's lives or allowing people to come into your life. That's not what guarding your heart with all diligence means. That scripture has become so twisted. It's become a, an even a negative thing. When you, hear, when you hear someone say, I'm guarding my heart, I'm guarding my heart. What they're really saying is, I'm just by myself. I don't want no one to come and entertain my life. So forth and so That is the wrong heart posture concerning that scripture. If this, if you, if this is you tonight when we're praying, just allow God to rewire that perspective. Because guarding your heart is to guard your heart against the vices that Paul speaks of. He says, lay aside every weight. What are these weights? Bitterness, envy, anger, so forth and so on. You are guarding your heart against those things. Not against someone. No. No. You're not guarding your heart against someone. You're guarding your heart against perhaps what could come from that person's mouth. Yes. But not against that person for who they are. No. That's not the nature of God. That's not the character of God. It's not the character of God. Amen? So... Let's just be very conscious about giving. Um, and like I said, uh, in, in the Church of Macedonia, the reason why, and I'm going to end here, the reason why, there's so much more to say, but the reason why, you know, they were able to give in the way that they did, despite their deep poverty and the persecution that they were facing, was because they had firstly given themselves to the Lord. So now, their heart posture concerning anything is that it's Christ. It's because of the need of Christ. Amen? They're doing it because they, they acknowledge that the, the house of God needs some support. They're doing it because they acknowledge that the kingdom of God will not be built up by anyone else. It will be built up by the believers themselves. They're not doing it because Paul has said so. No. I hope, I truly hope you are understanding what I'm saying. Because this, honestly, will, will shift, not just giving. This is just the, the emphasis of tonight's message. But everything I've said tonight, you can apply to whatever other areas of your Christian walk. Is anyone hearing me? The heart posture. 